Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So the new CPI data is out. And holy cow, the market was not expecting this. Stocks get crushed. And the bond market, the yields are exploding higher. So let's dive into this report, see what's different from the expectations. And let's head over to the CNBC homepage and see what all of these what the markets are actually doing and how much they're responding to this CPI report that caught people off guard. Let's go right over to CNBC. Here is the inflation breakdown for January 2024. This report just came out this morning. All in one chart. Key talking points. Consumer price index rose by 3.1% in January. A smaller annual increase then December, uh, but this exceeded expectations. Workers buying power. Now, this is something that I want to focus on throughout this entire video because this is complete BS. And it's really shocking to me that the mainstream media pushes this nonsense and people actually buy into it. Now, I know you don't buy into it because you're a lot smarter than that. You can use common sense, the rebel capitalist community. But I, I can't believe they can get away with this narrative, really. Next key talking point. However, there were a few potentially worrying signs under the surface. Okay, so they say that uh, the overall, the headline CPI number year over year has, is now 3.1%, and that's down from 3.4%. What was really surprising to the market is the month-over-month -month data was higher than expected. More on that in just a moment. Here they break down the chart. Now, this is a head scratcher, <laughs> to say the least. So all items, like we said earlier, 3.1% increase year over year. So what all the experts on FinTwit and the mainstream media, Bloomberg, CNBC, they'll all come out and just cling to that 3.1% as though it's just written in stone. We don't even need to research anything more. The government told us that it's 3.1%. So damn it, it's 3.1%. And anybody that says anything different is a Alex Jones, tinfoil hatter, conspiracy theorist. But then they give us the chart, or according to CNBC, they want to put words in their mouth, the inflation breakdown for January 2024 in one chart. That's according to them. Okay, so let's look at this one chart. <laughs> and these are year-over-year numbers. So food, 2.6%. Food at home, 1.2%. Not too bad. But then you look at the breakdown of some of the food items, and you see juice up 29%. Beef. Steaks, I, uh, just beef, I guess, up 10.7%. Baby formula, up 8.7%. Sugar, up 7.2%. Fats, oils, up 5.1%. Bread, 5.1%. Frozen vegetables, 5%. Carbonated drinks, 4.8%. Now, I'm no math genius. As most of you know, I almost flunked out of high school. I have i don't even know what math level I got up to. It, it was... It wasn't high. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. But 
just looking at these numbers, 29%, 10, 8, 7, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, I don't know how you get to 2.6. Now, I understand they're leaving out some items from, from the basket. But again, this is CNBC. So you would think that if inflation or food inflation the or price increase year over year was actually 2.6%, that there would be some numbers that would be, oh, I don't know, around 2.6% <laughs> or maybe under 2.6% that would offset things going up by 30% like juice. Hmm, very, very interesting. But let's keep going. So food away from home, 5.1. That would include vending machines and limited service meals and snacks. But that's 10.6 and 5.8. Far cry from 5.1. Now, you mean to tell me that restaurants, which I assume would include the rest of this, were at 3%, a lot lower than 5.1 that would give you that specific number? Again, it, it seems a bit weird. It's a head scratcher. So then we've got electrici electricity up 3.8%. So we've got all items less food, and energy. So here you would assume that we would have a lot of numbers under the 3.1%. Because let's in remember that the biggest component of the CPI, because it's, uh, it's, uh, adjust it's, it's weight adjusted, is housing. More on that in just a moment. So here we've got, uh, let's look to see if we can find how many of these numbers are under 3.1. Uh, 20.6? No. Uh, that's definitely higher. 18.2, 13.5, 11.2, 9.6, we go down to the lowest number, which is haircuts, and they're saying it's 4.2. Hmm. So not one number, not one item in the basket, at least the basket they have shown us via this chart, is even remotely close to 3.1%. <laughs> <laughs> and most of them are way over 3.1%. So all your friend and family member Fred's right about now are saying, George, George, George. Okay, okay, I get it. But remember that housing is the biggest component, like 33% of the average. So if housing is at, let's say, 1% or flat, then that would potentially explain why every single other price <laughs> can be above could be above five could be above 10 for heaven's sakes almost and yet you still have this 3.1 percent overall number that the mainstream media just clings on to it's like that ring in uh lord of the rings my is my little precious my precious precious <laughs> oh that's how they really come to this narrative that they just try to jam down your throats this narrative that the economy is doing great and the fact that you don't think it's doing well means that you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, yeah, CNBC, but I can't afford to put food on the table. That doesn't matter. Shut up. Just be quiet. You, you just don't understand how good the economy actually is. You know, that's this narrative that I keep saying that they want to push that it's, it's so blatantly obvious that even when they show us the numbers, it doesn't even make sense. So let's go down to what your friend and family member Fred is likely saying right now about housing costs. Additionally, shelter inflation up 6%. 6%. <laughs> so like everything else they showed us, it's 
not just over 3.1, but way over 3.1. So how on earth are you coming to this conclusion? Now, I've, I want to be very clear, and most of you know this from watching my videos, but I, I, I don't get everything right. But one thing I think I absolutely nailed was the inflation and then disinflation that we have had since 2020. But I never said that the CPI numbers were correct as far as the actual headline CPI. I said that they're always understated. It's just the trend, I think, is likely correct. So as an example, when they said the CPI was at 9.1 back, I think that was July of 2022, I, I, I was saying oh, it's probably around 15, probably a lot higher than that. But the fact that it goes down to 3.1, I'm not saying I believe it's at 3.1, but I'm saying I believe that it came down from wherever it was in July of 2022. And when I was making those predictions for disinflation, that's the context in which I was laying out my base case, right? I, I was not saying that in the actual numbers are legit. I was always saying that they're understated, but that the inflation rate, wherever it was, was likely going to come down from that point in whatever it was, July or June of 2022. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. So now getting back to this here, some portions of the article that I've got highlighted, ultimately, it's just likely a brief detour from broader disinflation. Uh, this is according to Mark Zandi, who is a, an analyst for Moody's, or an economist, excuse me, for Moody's Analytics. Now, this is something that I, I don't agree with. Um, I don't think that we're on this trend of disinflation. So what? just to back, uh, just to rewind here, back in 2020, I was pounding the table for inflation. Uh, especially into 2021. And then when we got to the middle or uh, Q3 maybe of 2022, I was then pounding the table for disinflation. But then once we got the CPI down to, you know, it was around uh, 3.5, something like that. And again, I understand that number's understated, but just using that as a proxy for whatever the level of inflation is kind of flattening out. I said, okay, this makes a lot of sense. I don't think we're going to get any more disinflation. I don't think we're going to get extreme inflation until we have some sort of massive catalyst. So what would those catalysts be? Well, on the upside, we'd have to have just 
government spending take off to a point where the inflationary pressure from government spending overwhelmed the deflationary pressure of what the economy naturally wants to do to the point where inflation would go up. So that's you can't just sit there and say, well, the government's running three, four trillion dollar deficits. And although that is absolutely an inflationary pressure, that doesn't necessarily mean that prices go up because that could be just offsetting the deflation that we have naturally in the economy due to things like, oh, I don't know, the banking crisis that we're in maybe inning three or four of right now. So uh, that would be an example of what the government would have to do. Uh, World War III, I, I hate to even mention that, but that's unfortunately something that we need to discuss. This would increase prices. Why? Because we're cutting off global supply chains. It's very similar to what the central planners did back during the Cervasa sickness. So you've got two components there. You've got the supply side, the demand side, right? We've either got to see demand side skyrocket a lot higher uh, that would offset the deflationary pressures and or we need to see the supply side come back down. So uh, then now let's, that's kind of the catalyst that we might see on the upside. On the downside, what would that be? Recession, economic depression, something like that to where the central planners can't offset the deflationary pressures and they overwhelm the inflationary pressures that are created by the government spending. Notice I didn't talk about the Fed. <laughs> All right, getting back to the report. And here is where they completely derail. Inflation has fallen significantly since pandemic era peak. Okay, I'll give them that. Uh, around, okay, it was June of 2022. Around that time, average consumer paycheck wasn't keeping up with fast rising prices. Uh, the so-called real earnings. So incomes, when you take into consideration consumer price inflation uh, or real incomes, whatever you want to say. So that was negative for more than two years. But I would argue that it was a lot more negative than the numbers revealed because that 9.1 number was understated. So now we look at what they're saying and they're, the, the narrative they're trying to push is, oh my gosh, look at how strong the consumers, look at how great the economy is. Oh my gosh, the consumers got nothing to complain about. And if they do, it's just because they've been watching right-wing media too much. And they, they really have it good, but they've just been brainwashed to think that everything is bad. And they are coming to that conclusion based on this 3.1% number compared to the increase in overall incomes. So let's just assume for a moment that the overall income number is correct. Well, we, there's no way that we can assume this 3.1 number is correct, not even on their own data. It doesn't even make sense. And I, under, I understand they're excluding some stuff here, but, but not one thing that they gave us other than food at home and food is under the 3.1. And when they break down each of those items, every single component is is. In fact, most of them are over 5%. They're not even close to 3.1% or 1.2 or 2.6. And then you add in housing, like we did before, that's 6%. So I believe that even using their own metrics, if you're intellectually honest about this and you weren't trying to engineer the numbers to, I don't know, make the administration look a lot better than it is or try to win an election in 2024 when you think basically you need to anything justifies not allowing Donald Trump to get into the office. And this comes from someone that doesn't like Trump. I think both of them are terrible. You see, so there's a lot of incentive here to cook the books, to say the least. And let's just assume for a moment that the real number is 
based on this right here, not based on George Gammon just you know coming up with some tinfoil hat theory, but based on CNBC, uh, we could say that the real numbers, and I'm talking about year over year CPI or consumer price inflation, is maybe let's just say it's six, seven percent. Okay, well now all of a sudden we've got negative real wages, and now all of a sudden all the people, all the average Joes and Janes in the real economy that are complaining, saying, hey, I can't make ends meet. Now, all of a sudden, that makes sense. That, to me, that that's my base case. Absolutely, 100%. So now we get down to, oh, and by the way, here's a chart showing that month over month, 0.3, which was slightly higher than expected. I think expected was 0.2. And that's why the stock market is just tanking and bond yields are skyrocketing. Now, they go into why they think that we had consumer price inflation and therefore why they think it's gone. And basically, they're talking about the supply side of the equation uh, from the pandemic. But we know that this really wasn't a result of the pandemic. This uh, was a result of the central planner's response to the pandemic. So we can't blame the cerveza sickness. We've got to blame the people that are really at fault for this inflation that we have had, which has disproportionately impacted the poor and middle class negatively. It's all a result of the authoritarians that pushed these measures on us. It basically locked you in a cage. So then they talk about how things are starting to normalize from the supply side, which I would agree with. I would agree with. But still, I think you're in a range of, as they measure it, let's just say between 3, 3.5, 2.5. You're, you're, you're in that range until we have the next catalyst that either takes things right back up or things crash to the point where we could have deflation. Let's go right over to the CNBC homepage and check out how these markets are responding. So we look at the U.S. down 437 points to 1.13%. Uh, and you could blame this on the CPI thinking that the Fed is going to keep rates higher for longer. We look at bonds and this is a huge move. Look at this. Let's zoom in on the 10-year treasury going from, let's look at a five-day chart. Whoa, <laughs> there you go. It was trading right around 4.15, shoots straight up to 4.27. Now, what will be interesting is to see what this does over the next few days. And if I'm placing a bet, I'm betting that this by next week, this goes right back down to where it was because this is just kind of a knee-jerk reaction. And then the market starts to digest this and say, wait a minute, the economy still sucks. And future growth and inflation expectations are still pretty much exact same as they were last week. And therefore, we need to adjust the yield, the price, of the 10-year treasury. And then we look at oil, pretty much about up 1%. I don't know that the surprising CPI data would have much a role or would play much a role, would play much of a role, excuse me, on the oil price. Uh, gold down 1.3%. And this just goes to show you that, you know, is gold an inflation hedge? Over the long run, yeah. Over the short term, not really. And I'd say the same thing for Bitcoin down 3% today. And then we go over to the dollar, which as you would imagine, goes straight up. Now, I don't know that, again, comparing the long run to the short run, 
I don't know how much interest rate differentials matter over three, five-year time horizons, but they definitely matter in the short run. So this idea that the Fed is going to stay higher for longer, this impacts the dollar, which makes the banking system or the perceived risk in the banking system even a lot higher than it was before. Why? Because now all of a sudden the dollar-denominated debt outside the United States is even harder to service. So hopefully, hopefully for the global economy, the United States dollar, this is a knee-jerk reaction. And when we fast forward to next week, hopefully this uh, the dollar will go back down to where it was. And, you know, ideally, if we're kind of rooting for what's best for the global economy, it would go back down to sub 100. What we really have to watch out for is an environment where the bond yields. Let's go back to the 10-year real quick here. Because this is a point that I, I want to make it. This is one of those things like the yield curve that it's really in the top five things that you should be paying attention to. And there's no excuse not to because it it's, takes you 30 seconds on, on the internet. What we have to watch out for is when bond yields go down while the dollar's going up. That tells you that, 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 that stuff is either hitting the fan or we're getting really, really close to that point. Because that's the risk off. That's the risk off that you're going to see in the market. I, my base case is that we will see this in 2024, but obviously we're not seeing it right now. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism, doing a webinar this Friday that you're going to want to attend. You can do that by going to georgegammon.com forward slash pro. Be doing that with Chris McIntosh, and we're going to be discussing how he is setting up his own uh, hedge fund the hedge, the portfolio that he has with his hedge fund to take advantage of and to uh, kind of bulletproof against some of this volatility that we'll likely have in 2024 as it pertains to uh, things like passive investing, uh, the border crisis, which is absolutely a macro event, and uh, the great taking and a possible recession slash depression as being predicted by the yield curve. So you're definitely going to want to participate in that this Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's over in the Rebel Capitalist Pro Forum. You can get access to that. Again, georgegammon.com forward slash pro. See you over there. See you in the next video.